Good morning, Larry. Good to see you. It's a pleasant surprise to look up. Welcome from California. My hope is this one day you just keep coming. You don't come and visit. So that's my hope. So good morning to you. Good morning to everyone else being here this morning. Uh, just one quick announcement. This Wednesday is our um, business meeting. So please prepare for that. And uh, before that, we will have a meal together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then we're going to jump into God's holy word this morning together. Would you pray with me? God, you are so kind to us. I feel so often, God, in my own life, I neglect to be grateful for your kindness and your love and your mercy, generosity to us, your provision. And God, we want to continue to humble ourselves before your holy word, and that your holy word would do what only it can do. And that is to bring us to uh, salvation if we do not know your Son. And that is, your word would bring us to holiness if we do know your Son. I pray, God, that you would open our minds and our hearts and our ears to what you would have for us today. And God, as we've been praying these last several months, we continue to ask that you would pour out your wisdom onto us as we look for a youth pastor, God. God, we need you desperately to reveal what your will is to this church in regards to a youth pastor. We've been seeking and we will continue to seek. I pray that you would get all the honor and all the glory, uh, despite how long this is taking um, to us. But your word is so clear. What seems to be a thousand years to us is but a moment to you. And I pray that we would trust that and we would uh, be obedient to what you're saying to us as a church. But again, now, God, we come and we sit, that your word would wash over us this morning. We pray this in the famous name of Jesus, our Savior, and all of God's people said, amen this morning. Well, good morning. It is the good to be back here with you. We are in the book, uh, the, the letter of James. James wrote this to the 12 tribes that have been dispersed. These are to the Jewish people. And if you remember last week, when we talked about these Jewish people were in persecution. Because of the persecution that they faced, they were sent out all over uh, the known world. And so James is writing this letter back to them to encourage them that they wouldn't lose faith in all that they're walking through. We talked last week about trials. And what we talked about last week is that all of us are to find joy in our trials. Because in finding joy in our trials, when God allows us to go through trials, His promise to us is that it's the testing of our faith. That God allows trials in our life to test our faith. And so in the testing of our faith, James says that it will produce this steadfastness, this ongoing dependence on God. Now again, I'll raise as a way of raising hands, who likes trials? Yes, no one. But God is sending us trials into our life to test our faith so that we remain steadfast, independence to him, so that in our steadfastness we will be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So that's where we start the book of James. It's like, James, you couldn't have come out of the gates with like more encouraging words? But no, he's like, go, he goes right after it. Because in the rest of the book, after chapter 1, he's going to say to us, this is how we remain steadfast as we walk with the Lord. And the rest of the book of James is how we are to 
continue to engage in our daily lives, in our faith, to become more holy as God has called us to be holy. So we talked about trials last week, and now if you come to this and you read this, it's like, James, where are you going? You just talked about trials. Now it looks like you turn the page and turn the corner to wisdom. But I want to ask this question to you this morning. When you face trials of various kinds, what do you begin with in your prayer life? Is it not for provision? Is it not for healing? Is it not for strength, protection, intervention, a miracle, deliverance? Those are the ways when I'm facing trials, my prayer life is often those places. That I desire this to just go away. That I desire that this would uh, be a place of encouragement, not discouragement. But James says to us, our prayer life, when we hit trials, is to what? To ask for wisdom. So I asked this question the last time that you faced a trial. And you hit your knees in prayer. Did you start with wisdom? I know that's not been the case for me. But James says to us. When you face trials of various kinds. Let us go and ask God for wisdom. Why do we ask God for wisdom? It's not that we, and I'll get to this here in a moment in the text. It's not that we ask God for wisdom to get us through the trial. It's that God would give us different eyes to see the trial that he has us in. So we have a new perspective on the trial. So James says to us, in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. Because he's going to go back to verse 4. Here's the connection point from verse 4 to verse 5. Remember at the very end of verse 4, he says if you're going through these trials, and God's going to bring you through this trial, he's going to say to us at the very last few words, it's so that you would lack nothing. Right? That's what he says in verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. And then he says to us in verse 5, hey, but if you lack something, if you lack wisdom, go to God and ask for it. Now, we can come to this text and see this as a more of a question mark kind of statement. If you ask wisdom, that's not how, it's, how, how James penned it. In our translation from the Greek to, the, to uh, English, we, it's got lost in translation. What James is literally saying to us you do lack wisdom. It's not a question mark. All of us in this room lack wisdom. Now, there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge, is there not? We live in a world that's very, very progressive in our knowledge. We are in a world that has more knowledge at its literal fingertips than ever before. I mean, you can just go to Google and ask Google a question. It's going to answer you within seconds. Go to YouTube. You don't know how to fix a car? Go to YouTube. You can fix a car. You don't even have to go to Rob anymore. You can just fix it yourself. But we have all this knowledge. 
but our knowledge isn't leading us to wisdom, is it? Because knowledge, science says that the world was created in a certain order. Boys were meant to be boys. Girls were meant to be girls. That's our knowledge. That's what science says. But what does worldly wisdom say? You can choose what you want to do. Like biology alone says what men and women are meant to be and how they are meant to form a union together. What does worldly wisdom say? It's like those old books when I was in middle school, elementary school, Choose Your Own Adventure. You remember those books? You like got to the end of the page and you had like a, several choices. How do you go to the next part of the story? That's how we here in the world have taken knowledge. It's choose your own adventure. And what a disaster that is. But God's word, there is no choose your own adventure. And that's what James is saying to us in the midst of our trials. He's not saying to us, have more knowledge. You don't need more knowledge. You need more wisdom how to use the knowledge that God has given you to navigate through the trial. Here's what one writer says to us. And I, I loved it when I read this this week. Knowledge tells us how to take things apart. Wisdom tells us how to put them back together. Let me say that again. Knowledge tells us how to take things apart. But wisdom tells us how to put them back together. You see, we need God's wisdom how to put this fallen, broken world back together based on all that we're going through. There is a way that God has called us to live in the midst of our trials. But what happens with us in trials? I don't know where Jared is, but I'm about to combust. It's so hot up here. So if we can deal with that AC, that'd be awesome. I'm like about to explode with heat. Anyone else? Is it just me? I'm like, man, I'm, I can like feel it like dripping down my like socks. Sorry, that's too much information. Whew, like it's like going back down the back of my legs from my calves. Holy moly. Well, that, that just made me hotter saying that out loud. That was a bad idea. Sorry, let's get back to focus. I'm going through a trial. But here's the problem. Here's the problem for us in our trials. Do we not continue to go to the world for wisdom how to get out of our trials? We seek relief worldly wisdom and what James is saying to us what is the source of your wisdom is it the world or is it godly wisdom so he's going to say to us there's a problem the problem is we lack wisdom now here's the problem with that do you agree and do I agree and does the church agree that we lack wisdom. You see, because if we don't agree with the problem that James is addressing, then we won't do the rest of the passage. The first place is this. In all of us this morning, we have to agree that there is a problem. The problem is what? We do not have wisdom. None of us in this room have godly wisdom the way we ought. That's why James is addressing. So do you believe, do I believe, does this church believe the problem is the lack of wisdom? 
Because then that's going to show us that if we believe that to be true, that there is a problem, then it's going to lead us to believe that we have to have a solution to our problem. Which that's where he's going to say to you and I first, you first have to address there's a problem so that therefore you would have a need. Do you believe that you have a need for your problem? Do you believe your problem is a lack of wisdom in your trials? Because James is making it clear. We are all going to have trials and we're all going to have a lack of wisdom in our trials. And we're always going to be looking for a solution to our trials, are we not? But who are we looking to for the solution to our problem of wisdom? James then says to us, if anyone lacks wisdom, do you believe that? Now here's your solution to that. Where does he tell us to go to? Let us go to who? God. He says, let him or her ask God. Do you, do you believe you have a need? That you need to ask for something outside of yourself, from someone outside of yourself, to give you what you do not have. And then he says, stop asking the world. The world is not our solution. The world adds to our problems in our trials. And James says to us, let us go to God. Well, why are we to go to God? Well, I'd first have to, you have to ask this question. Do you believe in the God that you're going to? You see, because if you don't believe in God, then you won't go to him in your need. Right? So it, it just, think using our brains. If I don't believe someone can meet my needs, do you think I'm ever going to go to that person to meet my need? Like, I don't go to Cedar asking him to open the pickle jar that I can't open. It's like I, like, I know, like, hey, Cedar, you don't have the strength to open this pickle jar, but open this pickle jar. But how often are we doing that with God? Now, I don't think we would say that out loud, but we do that in practice. We don't take to God because we don't really believe that God will give us what he says he's going to give us, therefore we don't do it. And so the first thing is, do we have a need? And then the second question is, do you believe that there is a God who can meet that need and will meet that need? Now look at your life when you're in need of wisdom. Does your life, does my life, does the life of this church show that we believe that there's a God who will meet our need because of our lack of wisdom? And then James says, let me tell you the reason we are to believe God. Here's the reason that God is the solution to our problem of our wisdom. He says, here's the promises that God's going to give to you. This is why you can believe that there's a God. He says it this way. Let him go to God and ask God, in verse 5, who what? He first gives it. So the first promise that we can come to believe that there is a God who will meet us in our need for wisdom is because the promise is he gives it to us. Do you believe that God will give you wisdom today? 
next thing is this. Not only does God give it, but look how he gives it. Generously. That, that means that he doesn't withhold any of it from us. He doesn't sprinkle his generosity of his wisdom onto us. He gives it to us freely. Or, as in the Greek says, sincerely. There are no strings attached to his generosity. You ever been given something by somebody else and you know there's strings attached to it? Am I the only one? Let's ask this question. Have you ever done that to someone? I'll give you this, but in return I need this. Am I the only one? Okay. We've both done that and received that. What James is saying, God gives it to us with no strings attached. That's his generosity on us. There's no payback plan. This isn't like uh, wisdom on layaway. He's like, you ask for it, and I'm just going to pour it out all on you. And then he says this. So you got to go to him. you got to ask for it. He's going to give it to you. He's going to give it to you generously. And then look what else it says. He gives it to what? All. God doesn't play favorites. The word all, though, there, here's the key for you and me, is the word all has to do with the believer. You have to ask yourself this question this morning. Are you a believer in Christ Jesus? Because if you're asking for wisdom and you're not a believer, you will not get that. The psalm tells us this. God doesn't hear the prayers of an unrighteous person, a sinner. That's what the psalmist says. So now you have to ask yourself, do I even believe that there is a God who will give to me generously? Am I part of the all of this statement? So he gives to us, he gives generously, and he gives to all of his sons and daughters. And then what else does it say? He gives without reproach. That word reproach means this. God keeps no ledger. There's not an amount of wisdom that he will give to you. And there's not a, a point that he's like, ah, yeah, you've met your quota on the wisdom. If he's going to keep pouring it out and keep pouring it out, and he, he says to you and me, you can keep coming with that request, and as long as you come to make me with that request, I'm going to keep pouring it out. In, in other words, God never gets tired of you coming to him asking for wisdom. He's not like you and I with our children that kind of get tired of our kids asking for Fruit Loops over and over and over again, or whatever your kids ask for. It's like, oh man, God, get your own Fruit Loop. Am I the only, I'm a bad parent? But that's what God is saying. You keep coming, I keep giving. You keep coming, I keep pouring out to you. And there's no ledger, there's no amount that when you come, you meet your quota on the wisdom I give to you. You can come without reproach. And you can come, the other side of that word reproach is this. It doesn't matter, even in your sinfulness, you can keep coming to him. He never gets tired of his children coming to him. Because he knows this, it goes way back to the first part of the sermon. He knows how needy we are. What a mean God we would have if he knows and makes us needy, but then doesn't provide for us in our need. God makes us needy so that we're what? Needy for him so that our neediness drives us back to him. That's the kind of God we have. 
He withholds from us, not because he wants to withhold from us. He withholds from us so we grow in our intimacy with him. And he's doing that through our trials. And so James is saying we have to have eyes to see the trials in the way that God sees the trials, not through ourselves. Because why? We get needy, then God will give it to us. He gives it to us generously. He gives us with no strings attached. He gives us to all his sons and daughters without reproach. And then he says this. That's one thing to know that. But then James says this. This is the promise of those promises. He says, and what? It will be given to him. Not it might. If you go to God and ask for wisdom, the promise from God is he will give it to you. Yes, he can give it to you. God can give it to you. And we can know that. That's not the promise that God can give it to you. The promise is that God will give it to you. Do we believe that promise this morning? You see, but here's the deal with the promise. Here's the deal with the wisdom that God gives to us. We ought not to think of wisdom from God like a how-to manual. What, what I mean by that is I go to God. God gives me this manual how to get through the trial. Like if I do this, 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 and this, I get through the trial. That's not the wisdom that God is saying to us. Here's how one writer says it. Wisdom is not a spiritual navigation system. This is not Siri. A turn by turn of direction. This is what wisdom from God is. It's a spiritual alertness to see the potholes in the road or the guys that dart in front of you on the road. It is a response in a way that does not ruin your Christian witness wisdom or dishonors the Lord or discourages others who believe. This is not a turn-by-turn navigation system. That's not what wisdom is. Wisdom is give me eyes to see what I'm going through that you would have for me despite how I get through it. But don't allow me how I get through it to ruin my witness. Every trial that's been given to you by God is for his glory and for your good. Now, I wish, I wish there was a hand manual. You have cancer. Here's your trial. Here's your how-to to to get out of it. You you are going through a divorce. Here's your how-to manual to get out of it. And on and on I could go with the trial. But that's not the wisdom that God is saying through James that he's going to give us. He is saying I want you to have eyes to see what you cannot see because I see it in a way you do not see. My job would be so much easier if I could go to Amazon and get you a how-to manual through each trial. Like you come and sit in my office, you tell me the trial, I Google the how-to and then order it and give it to you and say that's how you get through the trial. My, My job would be easy. 
most of the trials that people go through, they ask the question, why is God doing this to me? My simple answer is, I have no idea. But I'll go with you in the trial. I'll sit with you in the trial. I'll pray with you in the trial. I will not leave you in the trial, but I don't know why God is doing this to you. Other than it's for God's glory and your good. But what that means, I have no idea. I just know that's to be true. And so what James is saying, that's not the wisdom I'm talking about in your trials. The wisdom is, do you see God for who he is? James doesn't stop there, which is so annoying. Because then he says to us, but here's your requirements. You want wisdom from God? There's some requirements. I don't know how else to say it other than that. Because James says it so clearly. If you want to be given this wisdom by God, here's what you must do. Like God's going to do his part, but you've got to do your part. And James now says so clearly, this is your part in receiving the wisdom that you're asking for God. Three things. He says this, but let him or her ask in faith with no doubting, for anyone who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Here's your requirement to receive the wisdom from God. The first is this, you must have faith. Faith in what? The one who gives it. Do you and I have faith that God will give us what he says he's going to give us? Read the book of Hebrews. It's all about faith. Tennyson was asking a question. I don't know if it was last night or two nights ago. We're driving home from, um, this is another rant I could go on. If this city can't supply Slurpees or slushies, what is wrong with this place? We drove to every convenience store and could not find one Slurpee machine that was working. Anyway, that's besides the point. It has nothing to do with this sermon, though it was a trial, uh, for her at least. But she, we were driving home and she said to us, uh, she was asking this question about faith. And, try, and, you know, as a dad, I'm like, oh, I don't know. She's like, why do we believe that God is real? I'm like, well, you have to have faith. So we're talking to her about faith, and which reminds me of this. Faith is, you don't always see it, and you can't explain it. You just have to have it. Faith is hoping for something that we cannot see, believing that we'll get what we cannot see. Faith has to be given to us by God. And so the first thing is this. Do you have the faith from God to believe that God will give you the wisdom that you're asking for? Because that's what James says. The first requirement is this. You have to have faith. Here's the beauty about faith. I can't go find it. I can't go read about it. It's got to be given to me by God. So my first requirement leads me back to my need for God. I need God to give me the faith even to have the, the, the desire to go to him and ask for the wisdom. That comes from God. My faith has to come from God. So does yours. Again, I wish you could go to a convenience store, put two nickels in, and 
hit the faith button and a jar of faith comes out, you eat it, and then you have faith. Like, I wish it was that easy. It's just not. So we have to have faith given to us by God. That's the first requirement. Now, the second requirement is about us. More so than God. He says, without doubting. What, what James is talking about is this. How often do we go to God in prayer? And we're doing the exercise of prayer, but doubting that he's actually going to answer the prayer. James says, hey, go to God with faith, without doubt, that he's going to answer your prayer. Am I the only one that's ever gone to God praying for something with the doubt that it's going to happen? Okay, good. I'm not the only person in this building. And that's what James is saying to us. Let us work out our faith so that we don't have doubt that we can come to God with great confidence. Think about your children. When they have a need, do they have any doubt in the world that you're going to provide it for them? No. That's what James is talking about. That's what Jesus said. Let them come to me like little children. Let us go to God like little children without doubt and the confidence of the one we're going to. The last one is the scariest one. One requirement is faith. The next requirement is doubting. And the last one is this. Let us not be double-minded. What does James mean by being double-minded? It literally means this. To have double roots in its loyalty. Another way to put it, you cannot have roots in God and roots in the world. That's being double-minded. Meaning to us, in our wisdom, is there still any part of you that believes that the wisdom of, world, of the world is greater than the wisdom of God? Because if you do, then you're double-minded. Now again, I don't think we would say that out loud. But we do have to look at our lives to say practically, how, how am I living double-minded? Am I living double-minded? So again, being double-minded means having two places that your roots are in. You cannot, Jesus says it this way, you cannot have two masters. So James says, let me say it a different way. You can't have two minds. Your right side of your brain and your left side of the brain have to believe in the same thing. But if we're honest, how often does our right side believe in something other than God, or vice versa. Just look at how you and I live practically. Again, I don't think we'd ever say, yep, I'm double-minded, and I like it that way. If you are, there's a place right next to the Children's Hospital in downtown Nashville. It's called the Psych Ward. We'll check you in. That's what happens when you get double-minded. You'll go crazy. And so James is saying the requirements to have the answer to, fit, to your wisdom is this. You first have to understand that there is a God who gives it freely to you. And then do you have faith in that God who will give it to you? And he will give it to you if you do not doubt and you're not double-minded. But then he goes on to say this. If that's true, he says you'll be unstable in all your ways. So the flip side of that coin would be this. You won't be stable unstable in all your ways if you have wisdom from God because now you can see how God sees the trials that God's allowing you to go through 
so that you can go back to verse uh, 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God gives us trials so that what? We don't lack wisdom. You just simply read the text. If you want wisdom, anyone in here want wisdom? You ever desired wisdom? How does James say you got to get wisdom? Through your trials. So you want wisdom. Are you willing to go through the trials to get the very thing you're asking for? Wisdom. You have to go through trials to get godly wisdom. Let me pray for us this morning.